Our call to worship this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe, nation, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so on this, I was going to say, nice spring morning, this chilly spring morning, we worship God as we join together in our opening hymn of praise. And if you're able, you are invited to stand as we sing together, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made.
Having sung our praises, we bring our prayers to God, and after I've led us in prayer, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer. And as always, please say that in the language and version that feels the most normal and natural for you. But if by any chance you're not sure of it, there will be a version on the screen. So let's pray together. Great God, who creates, redeems, and sustains all things, it is our joy to offer you our praises and prayers. No matter what our week has been like, no matter how we are feeling, all of this is already known to you, and you reach out in loving acceptance to embrace us with fresh hope, and, where it is needed, with forgiveness and renewed faith. If we have grown weary, refresh us. If we have become complacent, stir us. If we have become disillusioned, inspire us. Here in this place, in this moment, you are with us, within us, among us, in between us. This mystery is too great for us to understand and yet has the potential to delight us and surprise us. As we are refreshed, may joy well up within us. As we are stirred, may compassionate hope direct us. As we are inspired, may faithful discipleship be our aim. Great God, who hears our praises and answers our prayers, we join our voices with those of countless others in all times and all places, as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom,
So it's a great pleasure and privilege to welcome Russell and Jill from Operation Agri Oops. this morning. It's not an official Operation Agri visit, but um, Russell and Jill were passing through and they said, we'd love to come and meet your church. So um, they very graciously agreed um, to let me interview them and they're, they're getting quite scared now because I'm, I'm quite scary and I've told them that we don't have a lot of time and that I will be keeping an eye on the clock and all that kind of school teachery stuff that I do week by week. So we'll warm up with a couple of hopefully quite easy questions. Who knows? Um, first of all, what is your favourite food? Well, what I like to do to uh, sort of shock people in the south of England is to say it's black pudding. <laughs> okay. Well, that would be English black pudding, though, presumably, not Scottish black pudding. What's the difference? Oh, <laughs> well, well... You asked the question. Well, it's, it's to I do with the fat content. There's, there's more blood and less fat in Scottish blood. <laughs> okay. I think strawberries. Is strawberries, <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, and, Jill, what's your favourite colour? A sort of orangey autumn colour. Okay. And a very nice purple, like this young lady's got on here. Uh -huh. You like purple? Favorite, favorite okay, brilliant. And do you have a favourite hymn or worship song? Well, this is, this is very difficult. I've got a whole lot, because you did warn us about this question. So I, I think I, I really appreciate Abba Father. Okay, jolly good, thank um, you. One reason being it's very easy to find, because it's number one in the book. But um, <laughs> Your book. <laughs> then it's, um, yes. Okay, good, thank you. I've always, since I was uh, young, liked... Um, oh. <laughs> it happens to me all the time. Yeah, yeah. The wittier hymn. Um, uh, dear Lord and Father. Oh, dear Lord and Father yes, of yeah, mankind. Yeah, Brilliant. Yes, yep. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. And then just very quickly, you've, you've, I know you've had a bit of a chance to visit a bit of Scotland this week. Is there one thing you've particularly enjoyed about your visit over the last week? Ah, <laughs> lots of things. We're on the Isle of Bute last week, um, which was which was. I enjoyed, we enjoyed that, and um, a holiday in visit, visiting Edinburgh again, uh, a place which, with a, just a twist to my history, we might have been, lived there for a long time. I was shortlisted well, for a job. forgive him for that. Shortlisted for a job, and I, perhaps I'm sad that I didn't, didn't get it. And visiting family, uh, living in East Kilbride, uh, various relatives as a family gathering which was really good Brilliant. we don't often get up here to see them fantastic and then as you know we've supported operation agri for many many years and last year's focus was on malawi and that excited us because scotland has a special relationship with malawi um is there just one or two quick things um, of news from from malawi you'd like to share with us Yes, um, the, the floods which hit, or the typhoon which hit Mozambique also hit the south of Malawi. And some of the projects, some of the, the recipients of the, the project which we were supporting last year, Operation Agri supported, those which were in the bottom of the valley have been hit by floods. Okay. And uh, we have supplied uh, extra, we've supplied seed to, to replace harvest being lost. Um, we don't yet know whether the floods have receded quickly enough for them to, to replant, um, but that, that's been a concern um, and is a continuing concern. Thank you. That's good for our prayers. And then this year, again, a country that we're very interested in and have long-standing links with, um, 
you want to tell us where it is and just a couple of interesting bits to get us thinking? Yeah, that's its flag. Anybody know what country it is? Go on, Graham. <laughs> Nepal. Nepal, yes. The only country in the world that doesn't have a rectangular or square flag. <laughs> Graham's son was a missionary out yes, in Nepal so for many, yes, many years. And yes, yes. um, so just a couple of quick highlights of, of yeah. what we can look forward to. Um, yes, the, uh, we've given Katrina the pack for this year with the videos. I've got my Nepal costume on. Okay. <laughs> um, we visited Nepal a few years ago. Um, not this particular project that's in the video, but we met some of the people who are doing the work. And they do great work going into communities and really helping uplift the whole community. And this particular community was one that suffered very badly in the earthquakes uh, a few years ago. Um, and they're still recovering from them. Um, and it's really trying to get the community together uh, to teach them health issues, repair their water supplies uh, that were damaged. Um, restore their agriculture and help them earn a living and get the women together to empower the yes. women. So. We like that idea, don't we? <laughs> well, I do. Anyway, yeah. thank you so much. And is there one thing, perhaps, from each of you that we could be praying about for the work of Operation Agri? Or yes. you? Yes. Um, we're not as young as we used to be. Um, I've been involved in Operation Agri for many years, and we are looking for younger people uh, who to get involved, um, particularly with social media, and publicity, that sort of thing. The sort of person who, who <coughs> would like to give um, perhaps two evenings a month, it isn't a lot, their timing and getting involved and say, yes, I will look after that for mm -hmm. Operation Agri. And if you know anybody, I, I got involved because my father said, Russell, this is a job you can do. <laughs> and if my father told me that um, even in my 20s, I, I um, hesitated to argue with him. So there may be somebody else, somebody you think, yes, you could do that for Operation Agri. Okay. Yes, and, and Operation Agri, as well as that, needs new trustees. Um, we, we do a lot of our meetings now um, with phone links, in, you know, so we don't actually have to travel a long distance very often to actually meet together. But um, people who have some knowledge of the countries uh, of the sort of work or indeed knowledge of um, administration and databases which I help to do and gift aid and yeah, the practical details and, and publicity and producing literature and videos so any of those things would be good. Uh, Bear in mind that Operation Agri is voluntary led and always has been and we pride ourselves in that with having one half-time employee who is the administrator. Thank you very much indeed. So it's great to hear about how the, the money that we raise has is, is been put to good use and continues to be good, put to good use. Great to be updated and given some food for thought for our prayers and our, our responses. So thank you very much indeed. We're actually going to go to Africa to Zimbabwe for the song that I've chosen, but I think it actually captures some of the ethos of what you've been talking about, about liberating God's people to be who God has created them to be. Thanks, Leo.
Bible readings this morning are from the book of Revelation chapter 21 and 20, parts from chapter 21 and 22. The author writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true for the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angels to show what must take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book.
I wonder how you imagine heaven. What images, words, feelings or hopes stir within you when you think about it? Is your understanding of heaven a physical place? Or is it a state of being? Do you have a view about resurrection bodies? C.S. Lewis, in the final part of the Narnia series of books, writes this. It was as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of the country taste. Perhaps you'll get some idea if you think like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out onto a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among the mountains. And in all of that room, opposite to the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in a looking glass. And the same sea in the mirror or the valley in the mirror was somehow different deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story. In a story you had never heard but very much wanted to know. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. But if you ever get there, you will know what I mean. Heaven as like earth, only deeper. Does that resonate with your thoughts and understandings? You may also have come across a recent article on the BBC News website giving a voice to Christians who live with physical disabilities and their ideas about healing, wholeness and heaven. One of them is a young woman called Becky Tyler who lives with a condition called quadriplegic cerebral palsy. She communicates using eye gaze technology and a speech synthesizer. This is what she says. When I was about 12 years old, I felt God didn't love me as much as other people because I'm in a wheelchair and because I can't do a lot of other things that other people can do. I felt this way because I did not see anyone with a wheelchair in the Bible. And nearly all the disabled people in the Bible get healed by Jesus. So they are not like me. My mum showed me a verse from the book of Daniel, brackets, chapter 7, verse 9, close brackets, which basically says God's throne has wheels, so God has a wheelchair. In fact, it's not just any old chair, it's the best chair in the Bible. It's God's throne and it's a wheelchair. This made me feel like God understands what it's like to have a wheelchair. And that actually, having a wheelchair is very cool, because God has one. 
the article goes on to say, if you think this is a random moment of silliness from a teenager, Professor Candida Moss says Becky has chanced upon a fresh but perfectly legitimate reading of the Old Testament. She says this, we don't get many descriptions of what God is actually like, but we get one of them at the beginning of Ezekiel. She says, the prophet has this vision of a heavenly throne room where God resides, and God is sat on a throne that is pretty much on fire. But it's also described as having wheels within wheels attached to it. And following this scene, if you think of all the scenes of the Bible laid out chronologically, God is always sat in this wheeled throne and in fact moves, leaves the city of Jerusalem on the wheeled throne and returns to it later on the wheeled throne. So heaven not as perfection, whatever that might mean, but heaven as a place of surprises, where our existing humanity and our existing physicality find their fulfillment. Does any of that resonate, I wonder? These are enormous ideas, and we can't adequately explore them in a sermon or even a sermon series. It will take us a lifetime to think about them. But they alert us once more to the mystery of wonder of what it is we are promised when Jesus says to his followers, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. A lot of what we think we know about heaven doesn't come from the Bible. It doesn't even come from the teaching of the church through the ages. Rather, it comes from works of art, from films and works of fiction. And there's a real risk that we create for ourselves a heaven that is what, based on what we think will make us happy. A place of endless sunlit valleys. Sorry, C.S. Lewis. Or bookshops, or tea shops, or parties, of perpetual banquets, or orchestral concerts, or Cayleys, or whatever it is that we delight in, in this life. We may even joke about joining the queue to speak to the Apostle Paul and put him right, or to speak to Jesus and ask him about whatever it was. But actually, we know very little at all of what heaven is like. Just before we turn to the scriptures and some of the glimpses we do get, two memories that have stuck with me over many, many years. One from a minister that I worked with when I was training, and another from a friend, one of my college tutors, a laywoman whose father had been a Baptist minister. Someone had asked the minister what heaven would be like, and he said, I don't know, but it will be more wonderful than anything I can imagine because, frankly, I can't think of anything that wouldn't get boring after a few thousand years. And the friend, quoting her father, said, it doesn't say anywhere we're going to like it. Heaven as more wonderful than we can imagine, but not necessarily 
what we would choose for ourselves. We might not like it if, indeed, liking it is a justifiable expectation. So what does the Bible actually tell us about heaven? And specifically, the words recorded in the vision in the book of Revelation. Well, it seems to me there are three key things. Heaven is where God is. Heaven is experienced in community. And heaven is about being renewed, about being made whole. If heaven is where God is, then maybe we need to take a moment to think about how we understand God. Way back in the 1990s, I learned a song by Graham Kendrick that basically said over and over and over again, oh, 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 heaven is in my heart. Heaven is in my heart. Is that true? Well, yes, in part it must be true because if God's spirit dwells within us and transforms our hearts and our minds and our lives, then God is in us. And therefore heaven, rather than being some distant land, is within us. Heaven is in some way or other a state of being. But part of the mystery, of course, is that God is not confined by the space-time continuum. God is within us, God is here and is now, and God is beyond us, beyond anything we can know, beyond anything we can imagine, not contained by time or space. And it's in that tension of now and not yet, of within us and out with us or outside us, of close at hand and far away. It's in, it's in that interplay that we begin to glimpse something of what heaven is. We see bits of it now and we align our hope with an eternal horizon. That's what eschatology is about. It's a looking at the, the eternal horizon. God is here. God is here now, which means, in some ways, this is heaven. Heaven is experienced in community. And I think it's a community that could surprise us, will surprise us, never mind could, will surprise us. The writer of Revelation describes seeing so many people gathered together that counting them becomes impossible. And what a sight that is to behold. Not just the people he might have expected to see there, the people who are like him, the people who believe the way he believes and are of the same race and nationality as him, but people of every possible humanly defined category. I think we have more categories perhaps now that we recognize than they did. But people from every nation, tribe, people, and language is what he says. 
Now, personally, I do not believe there will be nations or nationalities in heaven. And I think that because they are a human construct and they are a changing construct. If you looked at Europe 100 years ago, wouldn't have the nationalities it has now. And in 100 years' time, it'll be another mix and, and match. But what a wonderful vision that even those whose earthly lives were spent in a geographically faraway place, under a system of government different from our own, and whose values might have been different from ours, even troubling, or perhaps we thought were lesser or better than ours, will be together side by side and at peace. Heaven as a reconciled diversity. There are no borders in heaven, no hard borders, no soft borders. There are no walls to keep people out and there are no walls to keep people in. People don't simply coexist in heaven. They don't just tolerate each other. They live together in harmony. Now, it's no secret that I have been known to tell people, and I do it quite regularly, that at our best, Hillhead Baptist Church, for me, is a glimpse of heaven. Why? Because in our church, we see something of that diversity. We are diverse ethnically, in terms of age, politics, theology, personality, sexuality, spirituality, any ality or whatever ology that you want to stick on the end of it, we are diverse. And no, we don't always get it right, because this side of eternity, we're not fully reconciled. We're not fully inclusive. We're not fully affirming. We're not fully whole, and we're not fully healed. However, God is in us. And that heaven that's in our hearts, each of our hearts, leaks out into our le lived reality. But heaven is more than simply human diversity. It's about the quality of the life that is lived. Heaven will see an end to death an end to grief and mourning, an end to pain, an end to tears. And that's beautiful, but it runs the risk of us seeing heaven as, as the old saying goes, pie in the sky by and by when we die. Let's think a little bit more about what it actually means. It means if there is no more death, then nobody will be seeking to overpower or destroy another person because of who or what they are. If there are no tears and no pain and no mourning, then nothing can be said or done that will maim or hurt another human being. You see, heaven isn't a place where, as if by magic, everything is lovely. Heaven is about being transformed to become fully human. And that begins here and now, as God's spirit lives within each one of us, as we relate with each other, 
and we rub along together. But wait, there is more. Heaven is not about eternally happy people having a lovely time and singing songs to God. Heaven is about the recreation of everything. In the vision, we are told there is a new heaven, which could well refer to the skies, to the stars, to the universe, to the cosmos. And a new earth, the rocks, the oceans, the forests, the fish, the birds, the animals. Humanity no longer as caretakers of creation and certainly not as subduers or consumers of creation, but as fully 100% part of creation. If heaven is in our hearts, and if that is to spill out into our everyday living, and if we believe in a new or renewed creation, then that will find expression already in the choices we make when we buy things, the places we go and how we get there, the food we eat, the causes that we support. If heaven is about wholeness, and if heaven is the goal of our faith, and if we really mean it when we say week by week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, then that affects every moment of every day. Now, I'm not telling you anything new. I've, I've said it many times before, and other people have said it better than I have many times before. And I know that we do take very seriously, individually and collectively, the implications of living out the values that we profess as a church. It was interesting just chatting before the service to our visitors, and they said, does it really say wimps up there, worshipping inclusive missional prophetic, sacrificial. And yes, it does, because those are the values that hold us together and that we endeavour to live in our daily lives. Perhaps, though, as we glimpse the now of heaven, and it's really important that we do, it's equally important to remember there is a not yet to remind ourselves that the hope we have lives in the face of what are sometimes absolutely hellish realities. Let's not pretend otherwise. That we and others experience very real pain, mourning, death, loss, injury, sadness. There are no pious platitudes to be offered. I can't just say, well, it's okay, you know, because all this suffering, it's fine because God's good. That's, that's not enough. It's not enough. I like to think, and you may or may not agree with me, that because God lives within us, because there is that beginning of heaven in our hearts, that actually in those tough moments, when we turn on the television news and we can't make head or tail of the atrocities we see, when we go to work or we go to the shops and we're bewildered by things that are going on there, that somehow that little bit of heaven within us gives us the strength to keep on going and not to give up 
because we trust that it makes a difference. And dare I say that even at the end of our lives or the lives of those we love or those who have influenced us and we care about, actually having heaven within us helps us to make that transition, not in a glib way, but actually what is battered and broken and bewildered will come into its fullness of heaven because we will be fully in the presence of God. No platitudes, no glib answers, but that somehow that heaven within sustains us when it feels like hell out with. And just to close, I'm going back to C.S. Lewis, who in his short novel, The Great Divorce, talks about a man whose vision experiences um, a transformation that occurs as people go into heaven. Basically, um, it begins with a man in a very grey town who gets on a bus, the bus takes off, and he goes to this place, and it's a very strange place, and he discovers that he's a ghost, and there are people who are fully solid. And as he goes in further and further and further, people become more solid. Um, for people who are into Dante, it's kind of the opposite of Dante's Inferno. What's really interesting is the man who becomes more solid and journeys with C.S. Lewis's grey man, the ghost, is a Scot. Now, I can't do the accent, so you'll have to forgive me. But this is what the Scot says to the ghost. The good man's past begins to change so that his forgiven sins and remembered sorrows take on the quality of heaven. And that is why, at the end of all things, when the sun rises here and the twilight turns to blackness down there, the blessed will say, we have never lived anywhere except in heaven. Hell is a state of mind. You never said a truer word. And every state of mind left to itself, every shutting up of the creature within the dungeon of its own mind is in the end hell. But heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is reality itself. All that is fully real is heavenly. For all that can be shaken, will be shaken. And only the unshakable remains. Heaven is reality itself. Heaven is humanity, fully human. Heaven is all things made new. Heaven is creation recreated. Heaven is where God is. And God is here. We're going to sing a hymn which is actually written really for use around the time of death and at funerals. But it is a beautiful, beautiful hymn that speaks of that transition of heaven here and heaven to come. Thanks, Ilio.
come now to our prayers for others and for one another. So let us pray. God in heaven, God within our hearts and minds, God who is here and God who is far away, hear us now as we pray for others and for each other. Today we begin with ourselves, fully known to you, unable to evade your gaze, and always held in the embrace of your love. In the quietness, we open ourselves to you, yearning for the fullness and the wholeness you promise us. As we do so, Grant us a fresh glimpse of your heaven within. We pray for our church and for each other, for those who are here and those who aren't here today, perhaps due to work, perhaps taking a holiday, perhaps due to illness or infirmity, perhaps due to family commitments, perhaps for reasons of which we are and will remain unaware. Wherever they are, whatever they are doing, may they be granted a glimpse of heaven this day. Today, from our prayer diary, we pray for Kenneth, grandson of Graham, whose work patterns mean he cannot be with us at this time. And for Ed, our former organist and choir director, serving in the very busy emergency department of our local hospital. We give thanks for these two men, for the ways in which we glimpse heaven in them, and ask you to watch over them and those they love. 
moving out to our wider Baptist family here in Scotland. We pray for the congregations of Dalbeatty, Dalkeith and Dedridge Baptist churches as they live out their faith in the communities of which they are part, each with its own challenges and opportunities. May they offer a glimpse of heaven to all they reach. We pray also for Reverend Jack Quinn and all whose ministry is exercised through workplace chaplaincy. We give thanks for women and men who enter offices, shops, factories and other places of work to listen, to encourage, to support and to pray. As they offer a glimpse of heaven in who they are, may they also glimpse heaven in those they meet and serve. BMS World Mission invite us to pray for their work in Afghanistan and especially for projects that bring together Christians and Muslims, building friendship over shared meals and demonstrating their shared value of love for God and love for neighbor. In this innovative, inclusive work of mission, may glimpses of heaven be seen in reconciled diversity. Today we pray also for the work of Operation Agri, giving thanks especially for Russell and Jill. With them we pray for the people in Malawi and the people in Nepal, countries close to our hearts, and pray that glimpses of heaven may be seen in those communities by those showing Christian love in action. And we pray that they also will see glimpses of heaven in others. Finally, and with deep sighs, we turn to the wider world, beyond the Christian bubble, beyond the places in which we find it relatively easy to speak of heaven and hope, to situations that feel dark, dismal, and even hellish. Too many to name, too complicated to understand, and even if we did, we possibly wouldn't agree on how or what to pray. Remind us of the assurance that darkness will never overcome light. Remind us that in every circumstance there is hope of redemption and reconciliation. Remind us that even we in our frailty and finitude can be that glimpse of heaven that begins to transform despair into hope. Accept our prayers offered in the name of the one in whom our hope finds fulfillment, Christ our Lord. Amen.
There are some old liturgies that speak of communion as a foretaste of the heavenly banquet prepared for all. And so it is that we gathered in this place around this table can catch a glimpse of heaven. Not in the gleaming silver and the white linen. Not in beautiful words carefully spoken. Not even in morsels of bread and sips of wine. But in each other. You with me. I with you. Each with each other. Some old liturgies speak of the communion of saints, the multitude of witnesses surrounding us. And so it is that we, gathered around this table at this time, catch a glimpse of heaven. In our prayers for the world of which we are part, in the calling to mind of other times and other places when we have done this, in remembering those who have gone before us, and in anticipating those who will come after us. So, sharing stories Sharing symbols, sharing glimpses of heaven, let us listen to some ancient words recorded by a man called Paul. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let us follow the example and give thanks to God. Creator God, through your generosity, we have bread to eat and wine to drink. Redeeming Christ, in this simple sharing, we remember you. And we remember that we are your body here. Life-giving spirit, as you dwell in our hearts, we glimpse the hope of heaven. For these, and for all the mysterious wonders of grace, we give you thanks. Amen. Broken bread. A symbol 
of the mystery of the love that God has for us in Christ. And so let's eat as we receive and remember. Jesus then took a cup of wine. He said, this is the seal of the new covenant. The covenant between God and humanity, between God and creation. The covenant that gives us the hope of the new heaven, the new earth, of a fully reconciled, whole and beautiful diversity. And so, as is our custom, we will retain our cups to drink together, sign and symbol of that hope. So before we drink, let's just take a moment and look around. Because this is our glimpse of heaven. This community in its diversity is on that journey to become who God calls us to be. And so with that in mind, let's drink together. We have tasted the bread of life and the cup of salvation. We have glimpsed the heavenly banquet. We go from here to live the hope we profess. Jesus is Lord. His power and love are now and forevermore. Amen.
And so as we go on our way, may God continue to surprise and encourage us with glimpses of heaven. And may the foretaste of heaven within our hearts spill out into resilient love, gentle compassion, and tenacious hope today and every day of our lives.